Welcome to the Live Leadership Podcast with myself, Leela Singh. All things coaching, career, and personal branding. This podcast is for ambitious career professionals like you, wanting to create a life of choice and freedom, to be, do, and have more through overcoming limitations, to develop new perspectives and insights, and to redefine your success, be that in work, health, relationships, and so much more. In today's episode of My Brand HQ, I am speaking with Fiona Haythorn. Fiona is the CEO of Women on Boards UK, an advisory panel member to the Financial Reporting Council, an advisory board member for Spectral, a technology company that helps organisations simplify the gender pay gap reporting process, an advisor to Peel Hunt, a mid-cap stockbroker, and chair of Hanks' nominations committee, an FMCG startup. She's an expert in the areas of governance, regulation, and talent management, who has sat on both marketing and audit and finance committees. Fiona is also a patron of Fight for Sight, a medical research charity, and was formerly a director of Hill Samuel Asset Management. She has advised the board of the Thai Euro Fund and is a judge for the non-executive director awards sponsored by the Sunday Times. In 2020, Fiona joined King's College London's Global Institute for Women's Leadership Advisory Board. In today's episode, Fiona shares with us the role of a non-executive director and why this is important. A career differentiator, the many reasons and benefits for considering a NED role, at what point you are ready for a NED role, what boards look for when hiring a non-exec director and how you can prepare and impress. And she shares her three top tips to raise your visibility to secure a NED role. So let's head over and hear what Fiona has to say. Hi there and welcome to My Brand HQ. It's great to have you here today. How are you doing? I'm really well, but fan thankfully the sun is out. So you and I are both very hot as we know. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's steaming hot today. It's crazy. So I wanted to jump straight into this because a lot of questions I have for you. Today. I'm really excited for this conversation. Tell me, what is a NED role and why is it important? Because we hear a lot about it referred to and I think some people have assumptions, presumptions about what it really is and what it looks like. So can you share a little bit about that for us? Sure. Um, we actually run a workshop called Get On Board, and it's all about what is the role of the board, because we vaguely think we know. Um, and you don't necessarily need to go on a full governance course, but the role of the board is quite similarly to steer a company strategy um, and oversee governance. So we often say boards only do two things, conformance, abiding by the law, filing your accounts, bribery act, GDPR, health and safety registers, all that good stuff. So that's conforming to the law. Mm -hmm. And then performance is strategy and stargazing and boards oversee that. I mean, I've got a couple of quotes from the UK corporate governance, which I'll just read. The board should set the company's values and standards. Okay and ensure that its obligations to its shareholders or owners or members, depending on what, what the structure of the organization, is understood by those running it and met. 
And another description I think is really, really good. The board is responsible for determining the nature and this extent of the significant risks that it is willing to take to achieve its strategic objectives. And if you think about that statement alone, you can think about the environment, social impact, all of those things that are very in vogue today. So, you know, a good board is both short term and long term and thinking about how do we survive? Mm -hmm. um, and it's not just about short term profits, because if it is, your shareholders, your stakeholders, your investors are likely to come question what exactly are we doing with regard to plastic consumption or our emissions and all of those great good things. So the role of the board is really, really important. And that's why I want people to know about it. I don't mind whether they want to be in the boardroom or not, because we can talk about that later. Um, but I do want them to know it is choice. Um, and the more you know about the boardroom, and that's where Women on Boards UK comes in, the more you can make that choice. Right. And tell me then, so non-exec versus exec director, what's the difference? How could someone think about that? Well, basically, um, executive directors um, are the registered directors who are in the doing role. So they're running the company. And most boards, and here we're thinking of sort of listed boards, they'll have one, two, maybe three registered directors. So that would usually be the chief exec, probably the chief finance officer, and maybe one other. And that could be chief marketing officer. It could be chief um, people officer. It could be the chief technology officer. But rarely do you get the whole of what we'd call the C-suite, um, that senior management team that are running the company. Rarely are they all a registered director. So when you talk about executive directors, you're talking about the ones that are registered at company's house. Then, of course, you've got the non-executive director, which is usually the chair or those independent individuals who are safeguarding that company or organisation. Now, that's at the company listed sector. If you then look at school governors um, or charities, we're talking about the trustees. Now, in the charity case, um, trustees are usually registered with the Charities Commission. They're the registered directors. They're also often registered with Companies House as well, because lots of charities are set up as companies. But in the charity case, it is the trustees that oversee the running of the company. But you don't normally get the chief executive of the charity being a registered director. And that's why I might make a difference between corporate side and the charity trustee side. But it's not rocket science. Right. Sounds it, but it's not. <laughs> and why would you say a NED role is important for a business? In other words, You've talked about the exec director. So why would you, why would a business want to have an ed? Well, basically, um, somebody's got to hire and fire the chief exec. Somebody's got to report to the shareholders. And maybe the shareholders like the company strategy, don't like the company strategy. And if you have the shareholders constantly talking to the executive team all of the time, it can be just noise. Whereas the board is sitting at the top um, now, the board, for example, usually has a series of committees, one of which would be um, audit and finance. Another one might be REMCO, remuneration committee. So who sets the chief executives and the senior suite salaries, for example? So it is that interface between the stakeholders. Now, the, all the shareholders, the stakeholders might be in the case of a charity, they're the donors. So if I, I've been on the board of Fight for Sight, which is a medical research charity. So my job was to protect those donations, to make sure they went into eye research. 
So if somebody said, oh, let's set up a shop, I would say, hold on a sec, is that in our constitution? Because I'm there to protect that money. So that's what the board's there to do. And it's the same if you think of a school governing board, who is hiring the headmaster or the headmistress? You know, it is exactly the same. Who is reporting to the regulator? Because in the school environment, there is the school's regulating system. Um, in the um, charities, charity commission, if you're on a pensions fund board, it's the pensions regulator, if you're on a financial service. So the main thing that you need to know is who are you there to represent? Um, and every sector, you're there to represent different things. Right, right. So it's it's very wide in terms of the the opportunities and what you could get involved in as a non-exec director, from what I'm hearing. It, it's enormous. And, and one of the things that we do in, in the last part of our workshop, apart from talking about how do you put together a non-executive director's CV, because it's different from being an executive. You're in a an overseeing role, not a doing role, unless it's a tiny local charity that has no staff and then that's your choice. Um, but one of the things that we do is you look at the landscape. So we talk about uh, the not-for-profit sector. So that could be a sports board. It could be a, a theatre board, or you've got the um, listed corporate sector, but then there's public boards. So I'm talking about um, the environmental agency. That is a department, that, that's a, an, a company effectively that reports into a government department. Sport England, the money that we taxpayers pay into the government goes to funding grassroots sport all the way up to um, UK sport, which funds elite, lot, elite athletes for the Olympics. There's so many, uh, Companies House, for example. Um, I'm trying to think of the organization that looks after the air, airways, the railway, the regulators, all of these are government bodies. HMRC has a board. So there's the public boards, there's council boards, there's prison boards. I mean, there's just so many. And, and what we say is to everyone that we meet is look outside. And as you're traveling around, every building you see for every company, every organization type will have a board. The question is who's on it, what do they do and why? Um, and it really matters. And there's so many community boards that do great things. Mm. Well, that's fascinating, isn't it? So, so tell me, Fiona, why would you encourage women to consider a NED role? Well, I encourage everyone to consider a NED role, not just women. Um, it just so happens that our brand name is Women on Board. So funnily enough, it puts men off. They imagine we're not open to women. But actually, we did a lot of work with corporates and a lot of work with men. But basically, it is a, um, a career differentiator for you. Mm -hmm. uh, the more you know about how your organization is run, the more chance that you'll have of getting to the top in any organization. And those people who've been on a board, um, the value to their organization is usually greater. So I'm talking about um, if you're on a small charity board alongside your day job. And a lot of people, if they haven't had exposure to the boardroom, think this is going to be hours of meetings. Well, it might be if it's a big NHS hospital. But actually, Fight for Sight, my medical research charity, very important charity within society, only had four board meetings a year. It was very, very well run. Um, it's, I was on one committee, so that's another four meetings, and all of those meetings were in the evening. Um, so we often talk about the seven reasons why being on a board is good for you, personally, mm -hmm. 
society and also your company because you bring knowledge back. And I'll just, uh, we, we do a whole talk on this, but I'm just going to list them. It develops your career and leadership skills. So maybe you're not in a leadership role in your company, but you're overseeing things in a board. Point of difference on your CV, I've mentioned that already. It enables you to build market and industry knowledge um, outside your normal traditional networks. So, for example, at Fight for Sight, I got involved in the rebranding of the charity and also their digital media strategy and working with an agency. I, well, I wasn't working with the agency. I was party to the trustees meetings where the agency presented. Given my background as asset management, it's fascinating. Um, it's a great extra feather to my bow. Um, the other thing which is really relevant for women in particular, who tend to be the ones that give birth if they're having children, is career resilience. If you take time out, um, a lot of people take time out and I don't care whether they're working or not working, it's choice. But what is their optionality to get back into a paid job later on? If you go on a board, you learn, it's like going on a mini MBA on leadership because you can see what works, what doesn't work. Um, and that helps your CV, obviously, and enables you to give something back to the community. And I don't know about you, but you're involved, I know, in leadership and coaching. I meet a lot of people who are fed up with their job. And you say, well, why don't you leave? You know, if you really don't like it that much. And some people have a really nice salary. It's in the right location for them. And it just doesn't work for them right now to leave. Yeah. But actually, by going on a community board, they're feeding their soul um, and getting exposure to organisations in the community and it enriches your life so there's many reasons to do it one of the things you do need to be aware and that's what we cover in in the workshop is your duties responsibilities and liabilities um, and I don't want to scare people but it's very important that you are aware of those liabilities because you are personally liable that said and most people have a get out of jail card free and that's basically I turned up to the meetings I engaged the brain and I did the right thing because organisations get into difficulty. The law actually isn't out to get you. It's out to get you if you've been asleep on the job or potentially fraudulent conflict of interest. Most of us would avoid that. And let you and I step up and not let the ones who aren't aware of their responsibilities step up and potentially create issues. So I'm very keen that people get involved and jump in. Amazing. I like that. I like that. And yeah, it's important to understand. You know, again, I think it's a whole perception of Ned. It sounds great. And I hear so many people talking about it. And, and uh, it's actually do recognize or appreciate what the responsibilities are, what your duties are, or is it just a nice to have to be able to say that I'm. Yeah. So some people do it for those reasons. It's status. Mm. Um, they tend to not be very effective board directors when they're they get onto a board because they don't really care enough. And we always say, do something you're passionate about. Um, but yeah, it's you've got to want to do it. That's really, really important. Mm, no, definitely, I agree. And, and what's what would you say is the impact of, of being an ed on your wider career? So you've touched a little bit on that. Have you seen examples perhaps of, of how that's really impacted? Sorry. I mean, 
We, we run these workshops. We work with a lot of corporates. Um, we uh, do something called On Track for Success, a little bit about career tips and tricks. And then we talk about what goes on in your boardroom and why you might want to do it as part of a career strategy. So we have had thousands and I'm talking 8,000, 10,000 people on these workshops over the last 10 years. So what we do is skate. It's on scale. Um, and it's like planting seeds. You like feeding everyone in the workshop about not only the knowledge of their boardroom, but the opportunities outside. Um, so we've got thousands of success stories and people, if you haven't been exposed to the boardroom from a young age, and so my father was on a lot of boards. So I am state school background, um, didn't, you know, didn't live a particularly privileged life. My dad was in the RAF, but was then in education. So, you know, wasn't hugely well off had no exposure to the city and all that sort of stuff, although I ended up in the city. Um, but because I would sit, my mother was working full time and he would take me to board meetings and I'd sit in the corner with my coloring book. I understood how agendas worked. I could see the style of the boardroom. So when I was doing my executive career, I wasn't fearful of the boardroom. And that's what we're trying to do. Give the people a sense of what goes on. But I have a quote for you from a lady called Elizabeth Passy. Now, uh, people can look her up, but she's on several boards. But she said this. Um, now, she was lucky enough to join a board at quite a young age. Um, and I think it was through her company role. But she said this. By being on a board, I was able to stand shoulder to shoulder with the C-suite, you know, the senior leaders, in other ways, um, way before uh, other people could. Board meeting gave her portfolio anecdotes that she could use to build up relationships and at the time she was working with Morgan Stanley so she could go into a meeting and say I found boards really fascinating because I sit on a little board and this sort of thing's happening it's really interesting to see how that happening within Morgan Stanley and, and what's your knowledge of that so she went from being a junior employee to rubbing shoulder to shoulder with the very senior executives and if you look at those women and men that have got to the top particularly outside or as a minority they've usually been on a board before the age of 28 so I've got another great story from Alison Rose for you on this now Alison Rose oh well, actually no uh, Elizabeth said one more thing which I should say um you learn from the breadth of experiences that you can't get in your day job so that's why to do it and think about it and timing is everything like but Alison Rose um a lot of people ask me what's the right time to explore Ned roles? And I think you were quite interested in that. And you are never too young to be in the boardroom as well, long as- part of My question was that what age, you know, would you consider? You just said to me by 28, you know, people are on boards. So yeah, tell so, me more. So the, 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 when people talk about boards, they automatically think of, particularly if they work for large companies, and I think you were saying you work for Hewlett-Packard, they'll think of Hewlett-Packard listed board. They probably won't even think of Hewlett-Packard UK board or all the companies within Hewlett-Packard, all the companies across Europe. They just think about this big corporate board. But actually there's loads of tiny little boards out there. So. That's one of the things that we, we demystify. Don't just think about one set of boards. But Alison Rose is the chief exec of NatWest. Now, I'm lucky enough to meet some amazing uh, women and men. And I asked Alison, Alison, out of interest, when was the first board you went on? 
Now, I have actually a recording, a, a, a recording of this particular question, and she blew me away. So I'll send you the recording. You might find it useful in your mentoring sessions. She said, well, my first board was when I was 15. I was a lifeguard on the uh, southeast coast and I joined the lifeguard trust where they needed a lifeguard representative on the board 15. My second board was when I was at university I was on the debating society board the hockey club board oh and of course I um, set up a fundraising board for our local hospice that's when she was at university. When I left university, I was on the rowing club board. Um, I was a cox in my local community. And then since then, I've been on a couple of school governing boards. Now, that's what we mean. There's a reason why Alison Rose is different already. You'd have to hear her whole career story to understand that. But like me, she wasn't frightened of the boardroom. So we were talking about a school earlier, I don't particularly want to name the school, but um, I was asked to give a speech to that school about the board of the school, but also before they left the school, they were A-level students, the boards that they could go on at university. And of course, it had never occurred to any of them. Whereas it occurred to Alison Rose, it occurred to my sons, but that's because I'm their mother. Let's get that seed out there for everyone. And then that's really quality of information. So you're never too young. And Alison Rose proves it in spades. Gosh, that is amazing. It's just a whole different perspective, isn't it? And it's, you don't know what you don't know. So I absolutely agree with you getting that out there and, and making it known to start thinking about it from an early age and grasping those opportunities that come along. As yeah, and then it's then supporting them. I mean, one of the things that we do is we advertise board vacancies for free. So most boards don't advertise. They tap on the shoulder of people they know. So if you don't know board members, the best way to get a board role um, is to, we can help them with a board CV, we can show them vacancies, but as most vacancies aren't advertised, and we've got 350 on our vacancy board up today, 50 new ones every week. So we're a window shop on everything out there. But I got Fight for Sites um, trustee role because I thought, well, it'd be a bit embarrassing not to be on a current board when I launched Women on Boards in 2012. I've been on several boards, but didn't have a current one. So I thought, what do I care about? Blindness, my, my great aunt was blind. My father's got a, a genetic eye condition. I've got the same, probably got the same one. So I thought, well, I'll just look on the charity commission about blind charities. I sort of knew guide dogs and the Royal Institute of Blind. And I just phoned up the chief executive. And then I did a skills audit myself of who was on the board. I then said to her that I was an investment manager and I could see that they had a grant giving pot which had to be actively managed as they were giving out the grants. And I'd noted that the um, age and how long somebody had been on the board, who was the investment board director. I said, so might she consider me? I had a coffee with her in three weeks later, six months later, I was invited as a trustee, but I actively brokered myself onto that board. Now that's just one example, um, but there's many ways, but Alison Rose, the video I've got, um, picking up your point, is she says, um, don't think it's all clever, smart people that are on boards. It's not. It's just what goes on in the boardroom is day-to-day -day common sense, which is where we demystified. It's not rocket science. So what they've done at um, NatWest is they've had something called the empty chair. So she's looked at all the boards across NatWest 
coots there'll be loads of them NatWest themselves there'll be loads of them not just the listed boards she's looked at all the committees or they've been asked to and said where's the empty chair and each committee is asked to bring a chair in and find somebody outside so would you like to come in and observe they have to be a bit careful in the boardroom there's something called shadow boards and all that sort of stuff but assuming what we can get over that which you can so what we say to people and anybody listening in your company are there any empty chairs are there any meetings that you could join that feed into the boardroom and by merely asking the question you're creating optionality mm. and opening up a potentially new world yeah i think uh, what i'm getting from this already is it's just it's almost thinking outside the box but creating your own opportunities as well is a big part of yeah. this and, and and so we talk you've given great examples of alison and in terms of when's the right time um what about experience what about your career so so in other words what what do boards look for because i guess some people might feel well you need a certain level of experience or maybe you need to have and i know you, you've given examples to the contrary but there might be a view out there that well i need to have been a, a manager a director or an exec at where i work before i could be considered i need to have that level of experience so how true is that that that's when when you're describing that you're describing a listed board and that's what most people do because at the listed level if you're going to be a non-exec director reporting to shareholders lots of boards prefer somebody who have already been a registered director as an executive or have non-executive experience as well so they're often looking for the chief exec um so now they might now be looking for somebody who's a technology expert because the technologies come in and really change the whole corporate landscape. So they might have widened their skills brief. But um, I've just made a list here, which we go through in one of our workshops. They might be looking for sector knowledge. So it may be, for example, uh, it's a construction company and they may be going into Brazil. So the sector knowledge could be knowledge of the Brazilian construction market. So that's what I mean by sector knowledge. Um, now, it may be that they want somebody who's not been in banking. So Jackie Ferguson, for example, is a known non-executive director. Um, she was at XHP, actually. Um, she uh, was brought into Tesco's bank. So it's a subsidiary board of Tesco's itself. Um, and they wanted her for a technology knowledge because she'd worked in Silicon Valley. So for that was sector knowledge, but not in the sector that she was going into, but it was an area of expertise. Now, they may be looking for your professional skills and experience. So that's your leadership professional skills. And that could be operational experience. It could be people experience. So it could be culture and talent. Uh, that's increasingly vogue in the in, at the moment. It might be related to the environment because boards now having to justify their environmental impact. And funnily enough, there's very few experts in that field. So that's an area that you can learn to be net. They might be looking for your strategic networks. So for example, a charity might be looking for somebody who's got networks that potentially could bring money into the charity. It may be uh, go, they need public sector government connections. So it can mean all sorts of things. Community reputation sometimes matters. 
So that can really help an organisation, but not always the case. Um, long gone are the days, thankfully, that you need an OBE or to be knighted to be asked to join a board. You know, fortunately, they're not quite there. Um, but what they love to see, and this is the seed that needs to be planted, is board or committee experience. Now, I mean, you could have committee experience within your company and we call it proxy board experience. What experience have you had in the torturous environment of collective decisions? And a lot of people say, well, of course, I want to go onto a paid board. I don't want to do it for free. And I've been told by a headhunter, uh, not that headhunters are always involved in, in board positions, that there's no point going on a charity board position. Not true. If you go on a charity board position alongside your day job, you're going to understand you better. And you, you and I were talking about brand. What's your personal brand? You will understand what differentiates you and you will be able to talk about how you'll add value to the boardroom as a, an independent person. Most people, when they first go for their first board interviews, they sound like a doer rather than an overseer. And that's why the latter part of our workshop, which is quite fun, is what really happens in the boardroom. And we talk about sound judgment, interpersonal skills and having an excellent antenna so that you trust what's being said in the room, but you quite like to verify it because that's your job. Um, so boards, when they do have a skills audit, there's usually a selection criteria. So anybody who's a member of our organisation, they can actually click on each vacancy and see what they're looking for. Um, and one of the things that's funny is people often say, and I think, did you tell me you're a qualified accountant? Mm, yeah. So lots of people say to me, well, it's not fair. Um, they only want a qualified accountant. I can never find a board position. The accountant says, it's not fair. I can't join that board because they've already got a qualified accountant as a non-exec. The PR person says it's not fair. The person from Scotland says it's not fair. They're all in London. The person from London says there's too many outside London. You know, basically, um, it is a really competitive to get onto boards. Um, but there's so many boards out there. But I'm talking about the sort of paid level. But it's tough. But there should be a skills audit and a selection criteria. And you need to work out how do you meet that selection criteria with a degree, of course, of confidence. And you and I were chatting about that as well. And if you haven't been in the boardroom or exposed to the boardroom, you're going to find it much harder to confidently sell your board value add. Even if, like many of our members, you're a pocket rocket top executive. How can you be underconfident? But if you're moving from, I don't know, um, head of retail, Marks and Spencers say, you know, we've had loads of Marks and Spencers members, and you are moving in onto a university board, Everyone runs for cover, but I don't know anything about the university sector. And my answer to that is good. They've got lots of people who have that knowledge. Yeah, you are one of the big recruiters. Yeah. And you've got digital, you've got operational knowledge. You've got a different way of thinking. And of course, that's diversity in the boardroom. And that's where our network gives that one-on-one -on -one support at the point of interview to really get you over the line and demystify it because it's not rocket science. Mm common sense you know you and I've got it in spades you know so 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 lots of other people so open the door and give them access yeah I think again just a big takeaway as we're talking through this is that there are so many opportunities for so many people 
it's not a case you've got to wait till you're you know, 40, 50 years old and more mature in your career to actually consider this. There's there's a wealth of opportunities out there. It's about um, looking for them and, and creating yeah. and getting clear on what you want as well. Yes, and realizing that yeah. you know most most people who have joined boards have learned on the job. And now, of course, once they get there, they can often say, "Yes, we want some experience." And I look at them and said, "You weren't experienced three years ago. Did did that matter to you?" So actually, when you join a board, part of it is interviewing the board themselves, right? Um, because you've got to like the chair. You've got to know the chair has a good relationship with the chief exec, because if that's toxic, then you are joining a toxic environment. Mm-hmm. So actually, given that you're collectively responsible for running this organisation or overseeing, according to the corporate governance code of what do, do boards do, you're going to want to know that you like and trust the people around the table. So the actual interview you're going for is very, very different from an executive interview. Right. Because it's two way. Mm-hmm. And how you behave in the interview is not about how we think you could do your executive job. How would you run head of people or how would you run a change program? It is how do you behave? Because we don't know you. So you it being interviewed for this position, people are reaching out for diversity on boards but we have to interview better to prove ourselves to people who don't know us. And therefore, if you sit there very relaxed and you ask them questions about the dynamics in the boardroom, even though you're absolutely terrified because you've never done this before, you are going to, they're going to imagine you in the boardroom as somebody that they can work with. Whereas if you have your checklist, here's my checklist here, and you go through point by point, they're gonna go, God, they're going to be a total night. And it's the same with if you're a lawyer and the spec is legal, uh, intellectual property knowledge or HR knowledge or whatever it is. Um, and if the, in your interview, the only thing you do is talk about that. You've just lost the position because if the other candidate comes in, doesn't talk about their legal knowledge, but talks about everything else, they've got the job because we're interested in what you bring in the round. We're taking the fact that you're a qualified accountant or governance expert as read. What else do you bring? And you've got to be really confident to get that across. Mm. It's like understanding your own value proposition and being able to convey that articulately. Yeah. Wow. And and then tell me, um, when it comes to personal branding, what should we be considering if we're looking to move into a network because I actually have a few clients at the moment who are either actively or are considering um a ned roles and pursuing a ned role so what aspects of personal well, I, are important? I, I, and because of your background I was thinking about that uh particular question because I know how important it is there's a couple of things first thing I would say um you need to be able to write your brand down on two pieces of paper because that's your CV and that's different. It's your value proposition for a board member. So that's where we come in. We've got this course in the cloud. We've got a high touch mentoring type course. So that's important. And the reason why it's difficult is in addition to that, you also need um, to be able to articulate your board value add succinctly. 
So we actually play a game and say, can you tell me who you are, please? And we say, you've got 30 seconds and I want to know your board value add and something vaguely amusing about yourself. Selling yourself is very different from selling your executive functionality. So we, um, if you think about boards in terms of the personal brand, there are, there are arguably five types of boards intelligence. There's the financial person on the board. There's nearly always a section of financial the strategic person. So that's the performance side. There's the rational person. And that's the person that seeks, um, is really good at decision-making based on EQ and IQ and data. So are you a rational type of person? There's also your role. So your role, if you think about boards have committees, um, are you going to be on the uh, environmental committee? Are you going to be on the Remco committee? So when your personal brand comes out, we need to know from a very short line where we can place you because people want to put you in boxes, whether you want to be boxed or not. Um, some people describe me, uh, I, I will be the police on the board. And that means that they understand regulation. Um, there's the architect. Um, and those are the people who are really good at the operational foundations on a board. How do companies run? But I love this one. There's the pilot. Are you going to be a pilot type? And that's the person who is at 30,000 feet looking down. So there's loads of fun ways that you can tell us who you are and your board value add. Um, but it's about you getting comfortable with telling us your board value add on a piece of paper, verbally. And then, of course, you have to link, link it with LinkedIn. Because you and I know the minute we see your CV and we've decided to put you on the long list, we might just cross reference and the way people do that really easily is LinkedIn. So if you look like I was talking to somebody from a large telco, chief exec of um, a very big brand name, but she was, uh, I've had a look at your LinkedIn, you're too busy to be on the list of board. And she said, well, how do I overcome that? And I said, you put seeking one career enhancing board role approved by my company and now don't long think you're too busy because it's been approved so there's little messages that you can give out to say it's okay if you're thinking that I'm too busy don't think it because I'm not so there's loads of different things um, but you and I touched on this at the start those people that get on in careers are able to champion their achievement people inside the company outside the company know who they are and they can describe them so it's not just about your personal brand and how you talk about you as an executive different to a non-exec it's also can anybody else because in the board space people cross-reference so even your referees somebody will say what type of board member might they be yeah what would your friend say what would your referee say do they even understand the board space? Because if they don't, their reference for you might actually not be very useful mm. because you haven't championed to them your brand from a board perspective. So it, like anything, it's complex. You have to want to do it. Absolutely. On a board because, you know, it's, it's extra to your day job. And I often meet people at workshops, uh, particularly the corporate, and they say, they look at me and they say, do you not know how busy I am? You know, I've got this and I'm flying over here and I've got children and I've got this or I'm going through a divorce. I've got elder parents. 
Oh, so it's okay. Maybe not now, but it might be for you in five or six years time. So there's lots of things that you can do, but choose something. You know, you've got choice to go on a run. You have choice. It's how you manage that choice. And it might not be for you now, but it might be for you in five or 10 years time. So don't rule it out. Now collect, not the CVs, but collect board knowledge, which now you know about it, you will just see it in a different way. Yeah. And I feel, you know, you, what you shared there in terms of what we consider from a personal brand point of view, a big part of that is your network, which is a big area that I focus on as part of personal brand. It's not just about you and how you're showing up. That is a fundamental part of it. But another uh, facet of, of your branding is your circle of influence. And it's it's what people say about you. It's their perception of you. Because we all think we come across in a certain way. Um, but actually, I always encourage my clients and, you know, when I'm doing uh, any sort of training, it's like reach out to five people in your network that you trust at different levels, people maybe you've reported to or who report to you and, and just get some feedback from them, the, the things that come to mind when they hear your name, because that will give you a feel for how other people perceive you. Um, and if there's something there that you feel is a gap, then you can work on it to close the gap. But if you don't I, know, you don't know. I couldn't agree with you more. And um, I don't know whether you've heard of something called my personal boardroom. Now, it's coincidentally called boardroom, and I'm talking about the boardroom. It's not about the boardroom. Well, it is, but it's about who is your personal yeah. board, Zella King and Amanda Scott. And then I think, isn't it, there's three types. There's power influences, there's information, and then there's energizers. And there should be four in each category. And you can go out to them and ask them for feedback. And a lot of people talk about not liking networking and actually they've got the network, they're just not using it. And that what you described was using it, asking for feedback. And we know that minorities get less feedback. So they have to say, and this could be a male minority, in that presentation today, could you tell me what I could have done better? There's sections of it I'm not sure about. And then that says, you can give me something interesting. So it couldn't agree more. Mm. No, most definitely. And, and that's something I used to do a lot at work was I always would ask for feedback, whether, you know, presentations or a big piece of work and what could I do better? Because I always wanted to improve and to learn. Um, I worked among people who some wouldn't do that. They weren't interested in doing that. And I was like, but you want to grow, you want to learn and get better. Um, and I think it's a big part of, again, your brand and how people will perceive you as understanding how you're coming across. Because often we don't realise that we're doing something or the way we behave or interact that may not be serving us as well as it could be and once we know that we can change it we can adapt it yeah and feedback is hard to listen to sometimes mm. if i almost now want to do a podcast the other way around i want to interview you because it will be fascinating to find about what makes you different i know what makes me different and that's my father and my background and upbringing and also who i married because that mm -hmm. created extra optionality. Um, as it, a lot would have it, I'm looking at a PowerPoint because I'm doing a uh, talk um, later on this week of some of role models. And I've got a TED talk or a Goldman Sachs talk or a YouTube clip of all of these. And I chose women in every continent around the world. And if you listen to 
Injun Nui, the PepsiCo chief executive, or uh, Jean Case, the AOL, or Julie Sweet from Accenture, and you listen to these stories, they all have amazing family stories that have slightly made them who they are. And I think, was it Julie Sweet? I think she went to live in Japan. I think she went to live in China and she was actually at a dinner. I think she was going to go and do something else in her, after she was finished a degree. She was at a, a university dinner and she sat next to somebody clients and said, travel the world and go, China's the big place. And just by listening to that one person and acting on it, now that was different from her, but they all have amazing backgrounds that have made them unique because you seem really confident and really knowledgeable. But I wonder what's in your family that's made you who you are. Mm. I get. I probably. I, I would say my parents. I put that down to my parents. They've always encouraged me. They've never differentiated the fact that it was. A, I've got a brother, right? So the boy and a girl. But it's never like, well, he can do that, but you can't. You have to do this. It was like we were both pushed, given opportunities, choices, and encouragement. Um, and anything is possible and that's a big part of what I advocate in the work that I do now with my clients is that anything is possible we create all of the resistance and the obstacles ourselves um, and that subconsciousness about what we can and can't do is often created by our culture and environment and you're saying that your parents gave you a culture that you have a sense of entitlement you can be anywhere and do anything but we know today that's not happening everywhere particularly mm. within genders so it's, it's fantastic to to hear that and I would say the same thing yeah I mean I I attended a it was a an event by I think it was um RBS sponsor I can't remember which bank it was in London about women on boards and it was a panel discussion mm -hmm. a couple of years ago and it was very interesting because you had three people on there one guy and two women and the two women had completely contrasting as you say sort of backgrounds and stories about what they were told and the one lady, when I listened to her, I totally, I'm like, that's that's me. Cause she's like, there's nothing that's impossible. I go, if I want to do something, I'll go and I'll do it and I'll work at it. Um, and then there was the other lady who, as you say, had had that um, messaging that she'd received, whether it was growing up or through um, ed her education or wherever, that had her feeling, well, no, it's really hard or it's not possible or I'm mm. a woman and, and all of these things going on. So all that inner dialogue that we then start to pick up, which is a big part of, of what I do and I work with people is to have them recognize all that self-talk that isn't serving them, that, it, yeah. that, that, is, that we create ourselves that hold us back. The amount of people I've gone onto a call with and they said, oh, I really lack confidence. Now I know, cause I've been there. I was that person 25 years ago. And yet when I challenge them, on why they they believe that there's there's no substance or there's a lack of substance behind that mm. but it's a belief you create because maybe somebody said something to and you. it's not just they haven't just created themselves have they they've got it but there's a whole society thing going on uh, whether it's in the media and everything else that creates it but it becomes so deeply embedded then holds you back Completely. I mean, one of the reasons I set up Women on Boards in the UK was um, I met the founders in Australia and I was at a Women on Boards event in 2011 when Lord Davis was tasked by the government to look at the lack on FTSE 100 boards. And she stood up and a lot of people, when they're doing Women on Boards or the boardroom, they're talking listed boards or top boards. And they can actually put the audience off 
because as wonderful as that is, it's not for most people. Whereas I'm trying to do the reverse and say, if you want to get on those top boards, we need to get you up in your executive career to increase your chances of that. That's one thing. But actually, there's lots of different boards. But she stood up and she's hilarious. I was sitting in the audience and she just said, you lot, the panel, have just put that lot off. Well done. And I remember going, oh, it's so rude, you know, to say all these great and the good. And they didn't mean to. But they were talking from their own experience and they were telling it was very important. It's very difficult. There's a lot of regulation you know, involved. And actually, it's it's not. Of course, there's regulation. And if you're going to a complex financial services company uh, with all the regulatory involvement there, people in financial services tend to have more of a chance if they've been more senior. But of course, given challenge, disruptive tech and Silicon Valley, you need extra knowledge. But I thought it was absolutely super that she stood up and said that. And I just laughed. And she said, well, you need to set up an enabling organization that demystifies it, makes it simple. And the simplicity is not that the boardroom is simple, but you're communicating your board value add is important that you keep it simple. Yeah. Um, because you can learn on the job. But yeah, it's always mm -hmm. fascinating. And that, that, that's a huge thing that you're sharing here is, is by demystifying it, you're making it real, you're making it possible mm. for people who Absolutely. might be outside of their reach. And that's why we like working with so many companies um, and very few companies give us their young talent. They're usually trying to fix their senior women to stop them leaving or to get them up the rung further because that's that where they're all falling off. Um, or not being promoted so we usually get that group um, increasingly we get um, some senior men because we do a lot of you know retiring partners and all that sort of stuff but we love it and I would say it's only 10% of our companies let us do the managing your career workshop whereas unlike you you're doing quite a lot of coaching on a one-on-one -on -one basis we're doing a mass market thing which is just did you know have a think did you know have you think you need to look at that you need to look at that we're not giving them that one-on-one -on -one individual stuff, but we're telling them about networking, operational, strategic, personal, championing achievements people need to know. We're not telling them how to do it though. We're right. giving them podcasts. So there might be a good Harvard podcast because how different backgrounds and different people championing achievement is dependent on them. All the dependent on who they're influencing and their boss and how they like information. So we can't in a mass market situation solve their particular issue we can just say have you even thought about it because you need to get this fixed or sorted or be aware um and the younger you can get to people the better we obviously talk about the boardroom we just throw it in there at the end um, but it's so nice because by the time you get people who've embedded a lot of issues all the way it's not too late but it then becomes more expensive to micromanage that fix. Yeah, no, totally, totally agree. So in, in everything that we've talked about, what are the, what from almost an advice point of view or what you've seen and witnessed, what are the top three things that women can do to raise their visibility? Because you've talked a bit about what you do in the workshops and things. So what are the top three for people who are listening? Um, I would, first thing I would think about is your performance in meetings because the higher up you go, the more time you will spend in a meeting. And obviously if you get to the C-suite, it's nearly meetings all of the time. 
And then in the boardroom, it's always a meeting. So understanding that is crucial. And most meetings are a complete waste of time. Uh, there's research on that. But the question is, how do you make an efficient meeting if you're chairing it? So that's setting the agenda. Um, it's not controlling the outcome. That's poor chairing of a meeting. Um, meetings should be there to make decisions. And it, the question for you then is, if you're in a meeting, how do you use your voice and when? Because the more succinctly you explain your argument, how you deal with people who are interrupting you, all of those things really matter. Um, so we say to people, observe your own performance in the meeting, ask for feedback. You were talking about that early, get the feedback. And if it's not working for you, stop, stop speaking. Think about why is it working for so-and-so? If you can find somebody who looks like you, thinking what is it they're doing? Because it might be a certain type of boss, but it's deeply complex, but you've got to get that sorted. We, there's lots of tips to give you the next thing is influence not everything happens in the meeting room so are you doing what lots of minorities do turn up and engage on the subject only are you aware what the other people's views on that subject are before you go into the meeting room have you got that covered not to force your argument but to be aware, basically you're very vulnerable and just be aware of different influencing styles. Uh, is it a data way you have to influence? All sorts of things, but influence is really important. Um, and the higher up you go, and certainly in the boardroom, it's not just the people in the company you have to influence. It might be governments, other stakeholders, shareholders, really important to influence. Um, so it's meeting management influence. And then we've covered this one already championing your achievements in the context of who you are, who's around you, because if people cannot advocate for you and they can't explain what you do and how you contributed to a big project, a little project, you will never get promoted and you'll never get on that list. So it's about that. So there's just three things that are a huge amount of research on those things. There's lots of things that you need to do, but those were the three things that I think you really need to get covered. And I can see why. Um, I think championing your achievements is a huge one because so many people shy away from doing that. And again, it's the, I, I believe it's the meaning we choose to give to things in the same way the meaning we choose to give to networking. And I've been there when I you know, was a lot younger and thought, oh, well, that's just brown nosing. That's not my thing. I'm not going to network. But actually now I look at networking as it's just conversations with people and you know, getting to know people and, and getting them to know about you. It's just, it's just a, a conversation. It's, it's true. Uh, Robert Swinell, who is the ex-chair of um, Marks and Spencers, but he's been on multiple boards. I heard him once say he was doing um, some mentoring for another C-suite executive just about to join a FTSE board. And there, I won't say who she was, very talented, very, very well known, but a very quiet individual, not well networked at all. So headhunters wouldn't know her. They would probably find her if they looked at who was running that division. Um, she said she hated network and he gave her one piece of advice. He said, go to it with the right head on. And she said, but I go to these small dinners with people just showing off. And he and she said, and it might be talking about the Japanese yen and what's going on in Japan at the moment. And he just picked up The Economist and he said, they're just read that 
pick a subject and then just say, what are people's thoughts? Engage in a conversation and just go into it and say, I'm going to learn something today. I'm going to engage and come out with something and try not to make it such a big issue because she wasn't in her comfort zone showing off, bragging or doing any of those things. And she said she learned to like it, but that putting your right head on, and I'm a natural networker, but occasionally I go to an environment where I feel uncomfortable. And I went to the Sunday Times um, Christmas party and I walked into Claridge's where the business editor, this was his private Christmas party. And so I was in a minority and he made a real effort to make sure he got 30% women and was struggling to get the women into this room. And that was full of politicians, really well-known people he'd interviewed. And I felt like little me walking in. I'm quite small I didn't know anybody and normally I know loads of people in the city or in the board space I just didn't know anyone and I had to and then everyone was in their little cliques I had to think about how do I stand on the edge how do I go up how do I get engaged I didn't stay very long but I thought I thought what would Robert Snell say there'll be one interesting person in this room make an effort find it if you don't like it leave after 10 minutes and I did found an interesting person made a great connection yeah and to your to your earlier point it's about for me it's right set an intention and think about how you're showing up in that space because yeah, normally I would have a jacket on rather than a linen crumpled dress because it's so hot today but people have to know the temperature outside just I'm melting like you here but how how you feel and how, it's about not you mustn't dress how where you're not comfortable, but always dress where you feel comfortable. So for me, sadly, because I'm so small, I still need to wear high shoes. I cannot do the dress down in the office, or I couldn't when I was younger, because as head of desk, dress down made me look like a just a tiny school child. And so I it that was important to my image until mm. you've got that confidence to be who you are, and that's another whole another whole story. Mm. being you in the office yeah completely completely and I think you know going in as you say with the right headspace of, of, of that networking and I've had people who said oh I worry about what people are gonna think about me if I say something wrong and all of those and I think what you shared is have a little bit of preparation in your back pocket have an intention of what you're looking to gain from being here like why why are you even there and, and just go talk to people because oftentimes people just they love to chat and I've always said if, if you ask them questions yeah get them yeah. talking to you yeah because that, that just gets the conversation and then at some point there'll be something they say where you can kind of pick up on that and then start now, to another top tip is I always arrive early and I look at the attendee list and then I look at for somebody, I think, oh, that will be interesting. And then I ask the person who's organizing it, do they know that person? Because it's very difficult going around a room, you know, looking for labels and just trying to work out who they are. And it looks dreadful anyway. So I would say, oh, I've been looking for you. I've been fascinated by X, Y, Z. And I would have done that research 10 minutes before I walked in. Mm. Great tip. Totally great tip there. And, and so how can we transition to a NED portfolio career? So um, if you're interested, I would register as a free member on Women on Boards. They can register and hover for as long as they like. Um, if they're getting serious, 
um, then they would want to invest a little bit of money in themselves. Ask your company to pay for you. You're amazed how many companies will sponsor you to go, come on, I'll get on board, realizing your board potential. And then we'll talk to you about the role of the board, demystify the board, and we'll engage you in the board CV. Once we've talked to you about the CV, you can do our free cloud course, which is available for all members. Uh, once you're a member, you'll get access to board vacancies and you will be much more aware of looking around and finding those positions, whether it's with our help and we'll support you. So if you're interested, I would suggest you do that. But as I said to you earlier, just be aware that the boardroom matters and that your voice is needed and it's choice. So know it's there decide when the timing is right and going on to a smaller board and it could be a membership association to do with your career um, is about your development and it's cheaper than an MBA but do try and choose the right board there are you know you've got to get the fit right for you because you know the boardroom can be difficult it has to make tough tough division tough decisions at times so uh, you know not not every board is well functioning um, so choosing the right board don't let a vanity take you over and be so pleased you've been asked and then get yourself into a toxic mess. Yeah. Fiona, you've shared a wealth of, of hmm. information, of golden nuggets here, and it's been incredibly insightful. So I'd like to thank you once again for taking time out because I know how busy you are to have a chat with me today. And uh, yeah, I'll invite people who listen to the podcast, reach out to Fiona on LinkedIn. You can connect with her or go to the Women on Boards website and all of that information will be in the show notes so you can connect there. So I'm just gonna give one top tip. If people are reaching out, say where you've met me or you've heard from me. So they say they've met me on this podcast, I'll automatically accept. I get so many of them. And it, you know, always say where you've met somebody and why you want to connect with them. Because if I know any of them, anybody knows you, they're a friend of mine. You're a friend of mine, they're a friend of mine. But Thank you for listening. Please subscribe to this podcast if you haven't already done so. And if you enjoyed and gained value from today's episode, then do please leave a review telling us your key learnings and what you enjoyed the most. And do please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues so we can spread the word on life leadership, creating a life of choice, freedom and new possibilities. Connect with me directly on LinkedIn. And if you would like to learn more about how we can work together, either DM me on LinkedIn or email me. All details and resources can be found in the show notes. Directly, then do reach out and direct message me on LinkedIn. You can find the link as well as any other resources mentioned in the show notes. I'll see you next time.